Welcome to this episode of the NetDocuments Cloudcast, where JB and I talk about ND thread, document migration, and our most cruel trivia to date. Welcome to the NetDocuments Cloudcast, where we'll talk everything NetDocuments, relevant events and technology, and maybe a laugh or two along the way. Now, on to the show. Hey, so welcome to our next Cloudcast episode. JB, good to be with you again. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot. You know, just to give people a perspective as far as when we're recording this. So uh, I'm actually in London this week. And the World Cup started today. In fact, the first game just finished. And as I walk down any street in London, every single pub I pass has a big sign outside, World Cup special, burger and beers or pizza and beers for seven pounds. And and uh, so I absolutely love it. Unfortunately, in, in the States, we don't get stuff like that, at least when it relates to soccer, but absolutely in Europe and, and other countries as well. So I really enjoy that. But uh, just a little side note here. So uh, I'm a little jealous, by the way. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a soccer fan or, or football fan, depending on how you want to say it, depending on which country you're in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely jealous. I, I did get the opportunity when uh, the World Cup in 1994 was in Chicago. I did get the opportunity to see Spain and Bolivia, I believe it was, play. And it was unreal. It opened my eyes completely to just how crazy the fans are i guess crazy is a, i mean that in a good way uh so i but just uh you know so much more energetic than the typical fans you find at uh, at uh, american football stadiums and things like that so definitely a jealous yeah no i I'm, I'm jealous of that experience i i did not go to any world cup games but with the us now getting the jointly with mexico and canada getting the world cup in 2026 Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to have that experience again if you choose, and I will take advantage this time, so I'm excited for that. All right. Well, on to uh, other recent news, by the way. I mean, the World Cup isn't the only thing going on. However, that's towards the top of my list. But uh, something else that happened recently is a release of a new product with hmm. documents. I wonder what that well, could that be. sounds intriguing and interesting. I'm wondering which one that could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not spoil. Well, let's spoil the surprise actually. For right. for those who kind of watch the news and have seen other communications from that documents, JB and I are talking about ND Thread. JB, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what ND Thread is, at least as your understanding of it. Yeah, my understanding of it, I've been I've been using it internally. Um, it, to me, I compare it with uh, something like Slack or or any other messaging program uh, that people may be familiar with. But you know, Slack seems to be the one that that most people have heard of before. Uh, however, uh, rather than just being ungoverned or or unstructured communication, ND Thread uh, sort of pulls that conversation piece or or keeps that conversation piece around a particular matter uh, or or with individuals. So uh, just like in Slack where you have channels, 
these will be uh, designed around different entities or elements within your, your net documents cabinet. So in most cases, for most legal uh, or law firms, uh, this would be at the workspace level. So you can have a, uh, uh, an ND thread at the workspace level that allows your team to communicate with each other and uh, not only communicate, but also bring documents into the system uh, or from the system uh, that will then be saved into the workspace for you. So extremely powerful right now, you know, for those of us uh, or anybody else out there that, that's been using Slack, uh, you know, you can pull in documents and pictures, attachments, all those other kinds of things, uh, but those are lost, right? They're contained within Slack. You, you really don't have those inside the matter. Uh, this does the opposite where it actually is pulling that stuff into the matter and will keep it inside of the workspace, uh, which keeps your, uh, your, uh, your general counsel folks and loss prevention teams happy. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great description. And, you know, on, on top of all of that that it provides now, you know, if you compare it with Slack and Teams and other communication utilities, um, each one brings their own advantages to the table and each one has functions that the others don't have. One of the really nice things in threads that I like is the ability to annotate documents where you can go review, look at paragraphs, look at phrases, and actually post comments that are tied to that paragraph. You know, think of something similar to Adobe that allows you to go in and comment on documents, and Threads gives you that capability. Just like you said, all of that stuff is stored within the the matter workspace or the project workspace or or however you have net documents configured. So it's got that nice nice home that it, that it returns to. And so it, you know, it gives you the ability to say, I can go to one place and here are my documents, here are my emails, here are my conversations. So it, uh, it's a very powerful experience within the net documents platform. So we're really, really excited to, to release this. JB, do you happen to know what you actually stated two differences between thread and uh, teams and Slack and, and other types of things? Um, the two differences, that, that at least I heard, maybe you said more, is that, you know, with Slack and Teams, you can kind of organize any way you choose. It's kind of loosey-goosey. There's really no set controlled structure, whereas with NetDocuments, it's tied to the workspace containers and how you configure that. And then the other thing is Slack and Teams, et cetera, are their own separate document repositories. And the NetDocuments thread is tied to the single document repository. So for me, at least, those are a couple of very, very nice differentiators between those two. Can you think of any others? I, I probably have one or two more that are in the back of my head. Well, uh, so you, yeah, the, the, the separation versus, um, you know, having it be or, or have everything contained within that documents, I think, is, is, is a key one. I was just trying to think of, of anything else that might be there. You know, I know <laughs> I know that we are not only going to have a, a web client and, and a desktop client, but uh, with the a coming release of our, our product, it will be tied in directly into the net documents interface. Uh, and, but uh, I, I, I don't know if that's one of the differences you're, you're looking at or if, if you've got something else up your sleeve there, Mike. I do have something else up my sleeve, but you're absolutely <laughs> right, is, is the ability to have the thread embedded. So side one is documents in the middle is uh, emails and on the right-hand side are my conversations. So the other types of communication utilities don't integrate with NetDocuments like that does. But I'm thinking just of a couple of things, you know, as, as ND-Thread is part of the NetDocuments platform, now all of a sudden you have single 
user management. If someone has access to a workspace, they'll have access to content there and access to the thread. If you've walled somebody out of a workspace by default, they're walled out of threads for that workspace as well. So it's the same user account, the same access rights, etc. Additionally, you look at uh, you know those optional customer managed encryption keys. So if I'm a customer of NetDocuments and I've got I'm got encryption keys that I'm managing for this particular matter, any thread associated with that matter is automatically managed with that same encryption key. And then uh, kind of the last thing that jumps out at me is when you look at our flexible storage feature that say I've got this particular matter where the content needs to reside in Germany, any thread associated with that matter also follows that same storage location. So it, yeah, that it, is huge. it really is, yeah, it's really integrated into the NetDocuments platform, which once again fits the bill for all the uh, information governance and compliance, its security, et cetera. So it's, it's quite nice. I guess my last question, JB, is how can, let's say one of our listeners is very interested in threads. How can they learn more about it? Uh, my, um, I would, I would pick up the, the phone and call you, Mike. That's what I would do. I think everybody if, if for, for our, I think we're up to five listeners now for our five listeners out there, uh, pick up the phone and call Mike Sanders. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Mike, uh, what, uh, I, you know, we've, we've got the info email addresses. Why don't you let us know the best way other than calling you? I'm sure you don't want your cell phone being, uh, flooded. <laughs> Yeah, well, fortunately, we haven't given that out on a podcast yet. Now you have uh, blackmail on me, don't you? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so you can at least you can contact NetDocuments via the info at netdocuments.com email address. You can go to our website, and we've got phone numbers there as well. If you happen to know, you know, if you've interacted with one of our account managers or sales reps in the past, feel free to reach out to them as well. And if you just can't find any other way, you can reach us on Twitter at, at NDCloudCast, and uh, we will be more than happy to uh, pass your your request on to the appropriate parties within that documents. So that's a, a couple of different ways how you can learn more about threads, or even uh, if you wanted to look at a demo, etc. We'd love to entertain any and all questions. And outside of that, so if you wanted to request a topic we discuss on, on our Cloudcast, or if you want to just interact with JV or interact with me, give us all the good feedback that we really like to hear, go ahead, at NDCloudcast on Twitter and InfoNet Documents via email. We'll, we'll accept both of those. All right, so I think that kind of wraps up our, our introduction segment, talking about one of our latest releases. And that's something that we'll continue to do as we release new products and new features is be sure to spend a few minutes and highlight them on our on our cloudcast in a timely manner. JB, I'll see you on the other side of the break and our listeners go ahead and hang around and we will be right back. Hello everybody, welcome back from the break. Uh, we're about to begin the second segment here and I believe Mike has something that's sort of tailored and, and, and a very interesting conversation uh, teed up for us today. So, Mike, why don't you want to – do you want to introduce that for us and, yeah. and, and get us rolling? I'd be more than happy to do that, JB. So, you know, I mentioned I'm in London this week, and I'm, I'm visiting lots of different companies and talking about net documents to anyone who will listen, even <laughs> the uh, stranger on the street corner, although none of those have stopped to listen. So that's okay. <laughs> But there's a there's a common theme that I'm that, that I continue to get as people talk to me about net documents. They ask questions, 
And one of their biggest fears is, you know, whatever system we have our documents in, whether it's a current document management system, a legacy document management system, or a folder structure or something like that, one of their biggest concerns is how do I get my documents from point A to point B with point B being that documents. And so I thought it would it would make for a great topic, JB, especially with you here. You know, you've been involved in so many net documents implementations from all different aspects and you manage our implementation team, our professional services team, and I know that there are certain types of migrations that they do. And so I thought you and I just might have a nice little conversation and yeah. uh, and talk migrations and and some of the do's and don'ts and some of the gotchas and what someone can expect with with a, a migration specifically to net documents, especially for those that may not have used a system like this in the cloud before. Yeah, perfect. So let's kind of start off and do you want to go through just in brief description kind of how we approach migrations? Sure. Yeah, that's I think that's great. Um, our, our approach in general, obviously, you could be coming from a number of different source systems. So objective number one, identify the source system. Are we talking file shares? Is it another uh, DMS system that, that's been out there? Uh, you know, and, and if, the, if that's the case, uh, you know, how, how large and, and how long have you been using it? But identifying the source system is, is certainly the first step down that road or, or down the, uh, the path to, to getting everything migrated. So once we've identified that, uh, we really, you know, you, I, I equate migrations a lot of times to moving houses. Uh, for those of you who have ever done that, I think you can appreciate how hectic that can be. But imagine if you're a moving company, right? And, uh, you know, obviously you can have all different kinds of, of movers, people that will just come and move boxes for you that you have packed, or people that will come in and pack your entire house and, and move it for you. Um, you know, if you think of this in in, in terms of we're, we're kind of like that that moving company, right? We don't know what we're going to find. Uh, so you could either you could get into a house and find that it's extremely well organized, uh, not a lot of stuff, uh, easy to pack up and and move across, or you could get in there and find that these people are hoarders, right? They've they've saved everything that they've ever touched for the last 20 years, and it's buried in different places all over the places. So. You, you never know what exactly you're getting into, which is why the second phase of you know a migration, we do analysis on the source data. So whether it's a file share, whether it's eDocs or iManage uh, or, or WorldDocs or, or any other system, we will take a look and see, okay, what is in the system, right? How is it used? And and that, I think, is, is a critical piece that some people don't fully appreciate or maybe don't fully explore. Uh, because really, at the end of the day, the data of your source system is going to drive all of the decisions that you're making within that documents around uh, the design work, uh, how the workspaces are going to be organized, how your cabinets are going to be organized. Everything uh, comes from from that data. You know your document types, what what fields you need, what what data fields, and so we'll spend a lot of time on library analysis to look at how the people use the system today, maybe what they like, don't like about it, and then we will, um, you know analyze the data and, and, and try to see you know which doc types are used most frequently what are the top matters what um, are there any uh, security problems security violations or, or things that that just look a little uh, a little strange and inevitably we always find in the data some firms that are have been around a long time or some customers that have been around a long time using other systems 
that data usually has gone through several phases. You can sometimes see patterns where uh, maybe the firm tried to do something 10 years ago. They, they came up with an idea and it, it just didn't stick. Uh, but they've got some data in there, you know, profile data around documents that really doesn't belong with anything else that's in there. And so we look at that and go, well, what's that all about, right? And so we, we try to understand and, and work work our way in uh, to understand uh, totally what, what the whole design uh, aspect looks like. And so that's 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 where we'll start and, and, and that's where we go. And that will drive then all of the overviews and, and workshops that we have with the clients and, and different exercises to vet out what the design should look like and and uh, what data decisions need to be made. So that's that's generally where we start. And then, I, I don't know, any questions on that? Should we pause there and, and, and see any questions there? Otherwise, yeah. uh, I can roll into migration methodology. But Yeah, yep. no, no, I, I actually do have a couple of questions. So uh, one question that popped to mind is you talked about analyzing a file system, and I'm I'm curious, um, mm-hmm. are there are there tools that are your preferred tools to to do that analysis on that file system? Because I know some, there are some of those um, I... just wild west and completely unorganized, <laughs> and and trying to gather that information and somehow uh, analyze it is is part of part of a very difficult process. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, you know, and it, it's always interesting. The file system migrations are, are probably some of the most tough uh, that we face just because the data is unstructured. There is no uh, sort of normalized path uh, structure or, or you know, file names. Nobody agrees on anything and everybody stores everything in, in their own way. So that is, is challenging. But regarding the tools, uh, I, know, I realize there's several out there. Uh, I will probably get some some flame or hate mail comments or something for from people saying, why didn't you mention this tool or that one? The one that I've really latched on to throughout the years is a free one from Microsoft and it's called Log Parser. Now, believe it or not, Log Parser was designed to do, not specifically to do this, uh, but we utilize it uh, in, to crawl file systems. And the reason I like it is it will allow you to take all of that data, it crawls an entire file structure, and it will put all of the data into a SQL database, which is really nice. Uh, in that particular situation, uh, we we have clients that will run this on their file shares, and they will then take the, the SQL database, back it up, and ship it across to us, which gives us a uh, something we can work with to figure out what their, their data looks like on the file shares. And that will include everything, including attributes, uh, folder pathing information, uh, file name information, file size, uh, you know, all, anything you can possibly get uh, from, from a, a file share or, or a file itself, it will put that and store that uh, information in the database table. So that's what we use um, and, and in professional services right now. And, and I, I absolutely love it. It gives us the ability and the flexibility to uh, do multiple things. When you're inside of a SQL database, there's just so much that you can do with the data and look at it and, and slice it different ways that, uh, that really helps us uh, to determine you know, overall scope. Okay, great. And then the other question that I thought of, as you were talking about it, you mentioned, you know, file systems or, or SharePoint or iManage or OpenText or WorldDocs, et cetera, different locations. How How is a migration approached if a firm has multiple document repositories? The question there is which one goes first? <laughs> so uh, typically we, we see, uh, you know, there could be some combination of, let's say, a legacy DMS system and file shares. And in that particular situation, 
nine times out of ten, the legacy DMS system is converted over first, and then the subsequent systems, like in the case of file shares, they're treated as a, a phase two, if you will. Okay. So everybody gets live on whatever the majority or, or the, the, the system of, of use is. That one goes over first, and then those uh, secondary and, and tertiary uh, systems are, are brought online afterwards. And do you find in those cases that it's the, the DMS or the more structured data plays a bigger role in defining the overall net documents configuration? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Because those, those are systems that are specifically designed for document management, right? File shares, arguably, you could say they're, they're, uh, their document management, sure, I can place an object there, but traditional legal document management, uh, that's what those systems are for, and that's how uh, most of the design processes is uh, refined around those those particular workflows or, or business objectives. Perfect. Okay, I think you're going to go on to migration approach then, right? Is that next? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, there's there's a whole lot of design work that, that, that happens, right? And, and uh, you know, just trying to figure out, okay, what... Uh, you know, if you have, let's say, 200 document types today, you want to cut that list down and, and get that trimmed. Obviously, there's some mapping that will have to be done. So what do we do with documents that have the old document types and are going to be receiving new document types? So the, the data mapping exercises uh, happen during the design phase. The uh, Any other pivots, clients, and matters, sometimes people want to go from, you know, a four-dot or system or, or whatever it is in, in uh, your client mattering number scheme to padding things with zeros. And, and so any of that work gets done in the design phase as well. And, and then once we get through all of the data mapping, the security uh, considerations, um, the workspace design, everything else, we will then go into a test migration, right? And uh, believe it or not, I've actually encountered some people, Mike, that do not do a test migration. And uh, I, I've, I've, that, that floors me, but I'll state it here for the record. You know, obviously a test migration is extremely important before going live. That way you ensure that not only do you have the, the rules and the design correct, but uh, also that you are migrating it in the correct order and that things are gonna appear as, you know, as people expected them to. Uh, so you know, there's, there's just a whole lot uh, into that. So you know, making sure you perform a test migration is, is, is key. Right. And, um, and I've got to interrupt you here for a second, JB. Yeah. You, you reminded me of something. For those who don't know JB, he is like the meme king. I've never seen anyone do a meme quite as quick or as witty as JB on a regular basis. And I, I saw a meme once that I actually used in a presentation. It was, you know, it's the most interesting man in the world, right? Many people say I look like him. I'm not him. But anyway, it, it had us him sitting there looking at you and it says, I don't usually test, but when I do test, I test in production. And, <laughs> and, and you're going to use that, I know. But um, I am. But yeah. uh, but as you talked about people not wanting to do test migrations, that's exactly what came to my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and thank you for that too, because that's that's also very important. I I, I find that there is some confusion. Uh, amongst uh, you know partners and, and implementers and, and everyone else that uh, around where to do the testing some people will actually test it in a production cabinet we do not uh, our, our current philosophy right now is we, all of our testing is done into a test cabinet we consider that throwaway data uh, none of that is is going to be live or, or in the system uh, and and further when we perform the production migrations we actually will snap those cabinets create new cabinets uh, as the production cabinets and migrate into the production cabinet. And 
that's nice for a couple of reasons. One, we're leaving behind what I consider to be a very good training cabinet. Uh, you know, if you get if you get your test migration right in that uh, in that cabinet, then you're going to have some very good uh, firm specific data or or customer specific data inside of that cabinet, and leaving that around for for the um, for the customer to utilize as a, a training resource going forward for new hires and, and what have you, uh, that ends up working out really well. So yeah, test and uh, and do it in a, a, a test cabinet. That's great advice. So yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, running through the test, then, then let's talk about production migrations or even migration methodologies as a whole. Um, ours is quite process intensive. There's there's several checkpoints, if you will, or, or, or major things that we hit. Uh, the first one I, I think that's, that's probably important is going to be around the analysis of the data. So I mentioned doing a library analysis. We do that again. So the first thing that we do is we take a snapshot of your source databases. Before we do anything, um, we are going to take a snapshot of those libraries, perform some analysis, just to make sure that nothing has changed. And when we do this, typically what we find is that, you know, there's going to be uh, some users and groups that have changed. There might be new users, old users, ones that have been added, removed, you know, those, those types of things. Uh, but we're also going to make sure that no major data changes took place, right? Like if, we, if before we were tracking, uh, let's say, 200 doc types in your source system, and now we find 201 on, the, on a subsequent snap, we've got to account for that, right? So... That is, uh, that is one of the things that we're looking for as, as well. So doing a, another data analysis right before the migration um, is, is, uh, is key. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So we've done the analysis, you've done the test migration, and then I'm assuming the actual migration occurs. Is that right? That is correct. Um, essentially, what we do is we will we will get that started, get it get it going. I know that uh, Troy does, uh, and uh, Troy, I'm 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 throwing out names. For those of you who don't know, Troy Bartlett is uh, the vice president of technical services, and does quite a bit of our migrations here uh, for. Uh, you know, from eDocs into Net Documents, or iManage into Net Documents, or or any other of those uh, source systems. But uh, he he is the one that performs most of these and has <laughs> kind of perfected the process here. Um, and so, I I believe what uh, essentially happens and and what we're doing is you know we retrieve the source libraries, we we perform the library analysis. Um, the next thing that we do is we we run what's called a file verification scan. So. Sounds weird. Well, uh, essentially what we're doing is we're making sure that all of the files that the legacy or source system say are there are actually there, right? Because the way most of these things work is the metadata is sitting there stored in a database and it's pointing out to a location on a file server somewhere where that file sits. Well, we need to make sure that that file is actually there because if we if we go and we run a migration and we bring things over and somebody's expecting document number 314159, they go and they look it up, and it's not there, they're going to say, you forgot to migrate this one. And we have to be able to say, no, it actually wasn't there. So we do a couple of things. We, we run that uh, file verification scan, and we look for anything. Uh, we look for zero-byte files, right? Those are always a challenge. So uh, for those of you familiar with, with legacy DM systems and, uh, you know, have been around for a while, you, you understand that throughout their uh, their existence, check-in, check-out issues have existed, and something can happen to a file on the way up or down, and it gets truncated, and next thing you know, you've got a zero-byte file. There, there are tons of fun to deal with. So you, you might have some of those. We might have some that are just absolutely missing, and we might have some that we don't have permissions to access, right? So we just want to get all that junk out of the way. So we make sure uh, that we, we take note of all those files. 
interestingly enough, one of the things that we do on the migration is if we note any of those cases, in other words, if, if we have a zero byte file or perhaps the file doesn't exist, uh, we will insert what I call, or what we call stub files, right? So we're still gonna migrate the metadata record over. So if something's a zero byte file or if it's missing, the metadata is still there. We're gonna migrate it over into net documents, but we're gonna place a blank text file behind the scene and we're gonna, so when somebody launches it, it's gonna come up, but it's gonna say, this document did not exist on the file share at the time of migration, please contact your help desk, right? Or this document was a zero byte file at the time of migration, please contact the help desk. That way there's at least a record brought over and they don't think that we did something wrong, they, they're informed and they know exactly what, what's happened to them. So that's, that's sort of that next phase of, of running a file verification scan. Um, once we are done with that, we will go ahead and start running a, a, what we call ACL generation. So we validate users and groups, uh, and then we are going to uh, generate ACLs. So what do I mean by that? Well, we all, if you're not familiar with the security structure on the net document side, there's, there's, there's access rights or access privileges, right? So you, um, Mike Sanders, could have a combination of, of letters, V, E, S, and A, right, that correspond to your security rights, and I won't go down that hole right now, but uh, so we have to transform whatever rights a user or a group had in the source system into what it's going to be inside of net documents. And so part of our, our pre-migration process is running uh, what we call ACL generation, where we go through and we, we scan all of the user and group ACLs from the source library and translate that into the compatible strings on the net document side, and that goes into a, a SQL table um, and, and gets stored uh, along with the rest of the document information that's coming over. Once that has happened, once we have run the file verification scan, validated the users and groups, generated the ACLs, we will actually test it. Right, so you're sitting there. You've got, let's say, 10 million documents you want to import. You don't want to hit the big red go button just yet. Um, we we test a unique combination of each ACL that exists, and we run one document through with that ACL, and we test it just to make sure that it's going to work. Right, so this way we can make sure that we're not going to get uh, user ACL or group ACL errors back on the migration. So we want to flush that all out ahead of time. It's much easier to correct that before it goes in than afterwards. If, you, if you're doing it afterwards, you've got to touch everything with the toolkit. The document needs to get re-indexed. It's actually an expensive operation, so get it right up front. So that's why we test each unique ACL uh, with one document each prior to, to uploading or hitting the big red go button. Um, if everything works, if, if everything validates, great. We're going to go and... Uh, and start the migration. If it doesn't, we've got to go back to the firm and go through and negotiate what's going on with the users and groups and get that fixed. So, wow, that that sounds very very detailed, and you know, <laughs> and I'm so glad it's it's you know JB's not reading off notes. This is stuff that he's got in his head. And one of the reasons that uh, that we're doing this topic is you know just to to demonstrate a little bit that. Migrations are not simple processes. They're very involved. They're very detailed. But just showing, you know, here's JB that does this for a living, and it's very well documented. There are pitfalls, and we know where most of them are. Obviously, we, we come across new pitfalls every once in a while, but we're able to plan and measure, kind of make the impact of those issues as minimal as possible. 
That's right. Measure twice, cut once. Words to live by. Absolutely. So I think you know once we once we get through all of that, uh, that that sounds like a lot of pre work. We are actually then ready to hit the big red go button, and and it is it's big and it's red and it sits on Troy's desk just in case anybody's wondering. Um, but no, there's uh, um, we we break this down into two different imports, and this is this is going to sound silly or, or or odd, but this is how we do it. Um, we will upload your 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 source system or your, your legacy system obviously has version control, right? So I manage eDocs, most of those have, you can have different versions of documents. We will take and we will look for whatever the first version of a document is. Um, and everybody, sometimes you could assume it's version one, that's not really the case. Sometimes you can delete version one and version two is actually the first version of a document. So we call it the initial version import. So we look for every document and we take the initial version of that document and we upload it. That's the first set that we run. And then the second set that we do after that is we will run a multi-version. So the rest of the versions come in after that first version. And that just has to do with the way that we import things into the cloud and, and, and how our APIs work and a few of those other things. That first version has to exist before the subsequent versions come in. There's a few other things that, that go along with that, and I, I won't go into that. But uh, basically, initial versions first, multiple versions after that, and uh, and then we, we go ahead and, and QC any errors, reprocess those. And um, if you are if you are an eDocs, if you're coming from eDocs, one of the things that we add on at the end after all of the documents are in, we then go and we do your subversions and attachments. Those come in after the fact. And uh, you know, if we're doing any foldering work at all, then those folders will go after all of the documents, subversions, and attachments are in. So that really is the process. It's uh, you know it's, it's it's complex, a lot of upfront work, but uh, you know once once things get moving, it's it's a lot of waiting time and and making sure that uh, everything is going in okay. That is definitely an involved process, not an easy one, not a short, quick one, but it's uh, it's a very well worn path that uh, that you and your team and Troy's team are all very very familiar with. JB, thank you so much for that explanation. And uh, sure. that, that wraps up our, our middle segment of this of this episode. So hang on tight, and uh, JB and I will kind of wrap things up at the very end. All right, so welcome back. The final section of our podcast. And as always, we're going to start off with a personal question to, to each one of us, and JB, I'll go ahead and start again. So I, I had a um, kind of a bright idea of a good question for you, and I'm going to just go ahead and ask it here. If you had to take a song and make it your theme song, like they do for WWF or someone coming up to bat at a baseball game, what would it be? Ah, that is a really good question. I have always been partial to the opening of Eminence Front. Ah, yes, yes. I think that is a uh, just that that whole um, that first you know minute or so um, you know until the the drums kick in and everything kicks in. I, I think that's uh, I think it's great. So um, I would I would say that one. Good answer. Ladies and, Ladies gentlemen, and gentlemen, boys and girls, boys and girls cats, and dogs, cats and dogs. Tonight, tonight we welcome a man who has made anonymity a household name. A man who a man wears his heart, wears his heart, on, his heart on his sleeves and spaghetti sauce, sauce on his tie. 
and a man who will keep you on the edge of your seats, hopefully because you're interested and not because you're trying to get up the nerve to leave. The one, the only, J.B. Trexler. Um, okay, so I will have to say, um, you know, uh, what is the most awkward thing that you've ever had to eat at a restaurant because it was ordered, you know, maybe somebody ordered something at the table for you or something and you really didn't like it, uh, but you couldn't really tell the person, so you ate it anyway. Uh, what, anything like that ever happened to you? Uh, you know, I'd have to say probably blood sausage. Ooh, yeah. That, 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 on that one. That was the most awkward thing that, uh, that I ate <laughs> at least at a restaurant. Now, if you talk, at being in people's homes, I've had oxtail, I've had cow tongue and cow ear and, and uh, in fact, chicken feet, chicken neck. So I, I've had some some odd things here and there, but at a wow. restaurant, I'd have to go with blood sausage. Okay. All right. Excellent. Okay. Well, great. So now our listeners know a little bit more about us. And and the last <laughs> thing that we uh, we have in our segment, JB, have you ever heard of a word called the Katzenklavier? I have not. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but it it's it was a musical like a musical instrument. Oh, you're good. It is a musical instrument. It How, is? However, okay. and 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 I know I'm going to get flack for this. I really do. Um, I don't know if one was ever made, but it's a musical instrument made out of cats. Oh, come on. So it was designed designed by a 17th century German scholar, Athanasius Kircher. So if you can picture, it's a row of caged cats with different voice pitches that essentially what they would do is they'd put the cat in the cage. And this is where I'm getting the flack here. They would then take their tails and straighten them out and pull them. And then they would hit various tails with a nail to give pain to the cat who would then meow and, and put out a pitch. And uh, it, it's never been proven that this device was actually created, but there are several different historical accounts of instances where it may have been, but no, no proof has ever physically come out to say, yes, this was, this was done. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know. Is that a poor man's harpsichord? I don't know what, what that is. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's a, poor, it's a cruel man's harpsichord. <laughs> Whole new meaning to uh, cats in the cradle. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, it does. That I, that's an interesting one. Okay, and you were not on a fake news site or anything. Is this on Wikipedia or something? No, okay. no some, something like that. Yeah, and and so I've actually found someone. Uh, while it's not a real cat's enclavier, um, someone had had taken cat noises and put them together. Oh and, and there's a. There's something on YouTube, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play about five or six seconds of it here, and and you'll be able to hear it. And it, yeah, it's not a pretty picture. Okay, all right, I'm intrigued. Okay, well, I think that wraps up uh, this episode of the Net Documents Cloudcast. We're so glad that you've you've joined us here. And JB, thanks for uh, hanging out with me here. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it, and uh, look forward to the next one. Until next time, keep your head in the clouds. <laughs>